Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Today I'm joined by Peter and Rachel Kylie of Monday Night Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia. Hi guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So um, ladies first, can you please introduce yourself to listeners? Yes, my name is Rachel Kylie. I'm the COO for Monday Night Brewing. Um, I have called Atlanta home for 20 years, and I live here with my husband, Peter Kylie, who's the brewmaster for Monday Night Brewing, and our two kids, who are five and two. Man, that was really good, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I'm just... I'm just Peter. Um, no, my name is Peter Kiley, and as my wife stated, I am the brewmaster for Monday Night Brewing. Um, I am an Atlanta native. What's up, Atlanta? Um, and I like to make alcohol. <laughs> You're like a unicorn, an Atlanta native. Wow. <laughs> I know. Um, I've been here since seventies, the seventies, but but I was not born here. Um, so, can you guys tell me about Monday night? If if someone's listening, they're not from Atlanta. Um, you know, I obviously have my own perspective of what you guys are. I love how irreverent, how fun. You know, I love having a cooler full of every type of your beer during um, my summer get-togethers. Can you tell us kind of what is your vibe as a brewery? Um, our vibe as a brewery, I was going to talk about like the details, um, <laughs> but uh, we are a mid-sized craft brewery based in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we distribute in Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and we have tap rooms, um, two in Atlanta, one in Birmingham, one in Nashville, and one upcoming in Charlotte. And, um, I think our, I mean, so my role as COO has changed a lot at Monday Night Brewing. Uh, at the moment, I'm specifically overseeing and putting most of my energy towards the um, overseeing our tap rooms mm -hmm. and really focusing on hospitality. And um, I would say our vibe is one that has opened up a lot over the last 10, 11 years based off of our, you know, one, the laws in Georgia and two, our offerings. So when we started, as a company, we were, um, because of the way Georgia laws worked, we were actually not selling beers to people who came to the tap room. We were selling them a glass and a tour, mm -hmm. and then they were getting free samples and we only offered beer. And, um, the, those laws changed and we were able to start selling pints to our customers. And then, um, in the last year, we've also started offering, um, pizza. We opened a kitchen operation. And um, Peter has started distilling and we've started offering liquor. And the thing that's exciting about that, from you know, obviously operationally, it's pretty complex, but being able to uh, accommodate and host a greater variety of types of events is really fun. So not just for craft beer super fans or people who casually enjoy craft beer, but all kinds of people who want to get together and have a good time. Man, that is the details. Um... What is Monday Night Brewing? I think Monday Night Brewing has lived many lives during its existence. Um, if you were to ask me that in the beginning, I don't know if I would have had a concrete answer. I probably would have had an answer that would have been good for like an investor's pitch. But um, now, if I were to describe Monday Night Brewing, I would think that like, I mean, community is always a word that resonates. And I don't always love how it's used, but I think that we're just, we exist to serve our different communities. Um, 
the beer we make, if you were to go to any of our tap rooms, we are all over the place. I think that our, our, our offerings are pretty much just like an example of my high level of ADHD. Um, just want to explore everything um, all at the same time. So we make so many different things, but it's really just about the pursuit of beer for the communities that we serve. And obviously being in Atlanta, first and foremost, Atlanta is so diverse. You can't just make one or two things that will please everyone. I feel like we have to make so many different things just to attract as many different palates as we can that Atlanta has to offer. So Monday Night Brewing exists to um, deepen relations. I think it's our mission statement, right, Rachel? Exists yes. to deepen relations over some of the best beer in the country. Um, but yeah, I mean, Monday Night Brewing has turned into so much more than I think we ever planned. But you guys definitely have fun, just even like the naming. It was definitely one of the first, you know, to really like start like having fun with it, which was so cool to watch as the craft industry grew in Atlanta. Is that just you? Is that your ADHD? Yeah, I mean, is that just it? Yeah, I mean, like the, the, there's there's a line that I struggle with, but thank you for acknowledging that. I mean, <laughs> beer, beer, beer the, the beer that we want to make, we do take our craft so seriously. But that's pretty much where it stops. Outside of that, like, we want to have fun. We want this to be, you know, an example of who we are. When I, I mean, the craft beer without a story, too, the stories behind the names of the beers or even mm -hmm. why the beer exists. So, Let me just so for awesome. listeners so they can hear just some of these names. There's like Dr. Robot, which is your Berry Lemon Sour, Taco Tuesday, Blind Pirate, Slap Fight. Death Raptor, Space Lettuce. I mean, they're fun. And and I think that they really do a really great job of encapsulating Atlanta in a way. I think that it's hard to describe Atlanta to people because we are so creative and funky and people just see us like some Southern town, but they really feel like an Atlanta beer to me. That's awesome. What I would like to talk to you about is kind of rewinding and and for both of you, just knowing like when was beer, food, hospitality, like when in your life, like way back when did you know it was going to be something that you were going to work in and it was going to be your life? Like, when did you know you were going to be a brewmaster? And Rachel, when did you know that you were going to be in hospitality? Yeah, my first job in hospitality was for, it was fifth group. Um, I worked as a hostess at the Midtown location on Crescent and then helped open the Vinings location of South City Kitchen um, when that opened. And the onboard, the training process for that, I, I mean, this was this is reaching back a little bit in time, so the details might be slightly off, but <laughs> I think it was at least like 10 days, two weeks of training. Um, Fifth Group takes their hospitality training really seriously, or that was my experience. And um, they're a great company. Yeah, and they did lots of culture values training. They did lots of wine training. Um, I think I can say with safety now that I was not 21 when I did that. And I'm not confident they knew that. Um, I got very passionate <laughs> about wine at that time, uh, before I was even as a very new drinker. Um, and I, I, I loved how you could, you know, the, there's like, stay busy, but stay calm. That's sort of like duck on the water, everything, you know, stay constantly busy, busy, busy. Um, Stuart Fearman was the, um, director of operations at the time. And I remember he, like the level of detail that he cared about was he'd come to the host stand and be like, there's um, like 
paper on the ground near the bathroom. Can you go pick that up? And with a smile and in a totally appropriate and, and upbeat way, um, but that super attention to detail, staying really busy and still engaging with people. I, I loved it. It was exciting. And I worked in a couple other restaurants in Atlanta after that. Um, but I've, I love hospitality. But you started quite early at Monday night, right? I mean, you've been there and worn many hats at this point. Yes. Yeah. I'll be 11 years with the company. Uh, oh my gosh. What is today? Oh, May 5th. Um, mm -hmm. I remember I started Cinco de Mayo <laughs> and had, I kicked it off on Cinco de Mayo with our, at that time, our drafty kilt, our Scotch ale. It's like, hmm. Lovely pairing with tacos, the 7.2% roasted uh, uh, scotch ale. <laughs> how did, so how did you make the jump from, from, you know, that hospitality rule to alcohol to beer, you know, what was it about beer yeah. that, that, or just, you know, spirits and making alcohol that, that appealed to you? So our, uh, there's three founders of Monday Night Brewing, Jeff, Joel, and Jonathan. Jeff is our CEO. And he's also my brother-in-law. Uh, I've known him since I was 14. He likes to tease that. It's like, when I met Rachel, she had a poster of Josh Hartnett on her wall. And I'm like, yeah, and you were wearing a necklace with, <laughs> with shells on it. So we were younger. Um, but I was living with uh, my sister and brother-in-law uh, and when we would get together to homebrew on Monday nights. And so I got to be sort of a feel of, you know, folks coming through, um, trying the homebrew that, we, we talk about this story a lot, but that's where the, the, the idea of craft beer and community first made sense and said, maybe we should make a business out of this. Um, and so I got, you know, because of family relationship, got to sort of be on the ground floor with that. And I've worn a lot of hats over time. I started out doing outside sales and then moved over to managing production and then um, pivoted to the hospitality taproom management. So it really is a family operation. It is. It is. It is. And ironically, mm -hmm. though, um, we talk a lot about at Monday night, we are not a family, which is funny because I actually work very closely and have meetings all the time with people who are my family, but we're a team. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was like, some of us are family, but mo but as a company, we are a team. And uh, for a number of reasons, that's important. But I think, you know, family kind of no matter what Jeff or Peter does that day. I love them and they're my family. Mm -hmm. A team, you have a goal and a, and a mission and an objective. Um, and you do have, you can have expectations of people towards that goal. And Peter, how did you come to this space? Like, you know, going back, like when did you realize you had a passion for beer at all? Like even before you were brewing it uh, or even food, like what was your aha Whoa. moment? That's a really great question. So um, growing up, I I have a mixed bag of learning disabilities. You name them, I got some of it. Um, so I was always a very non-traditional learner and non-traditional student and just probably a difficult child, I think is how I'd probably be described by my parents at times. Um, but I remember one of the things that I always found to be so comforting was my dad. He was the cook. My mom and dad were both professionals, both very busy, but my dad was always the one that was cooking food and he's great at it. And so he really taught me just the love of flavor. And he was the first person to introduce me to like this idea of intentionality 
that I think is probably the main driver of everything I do now. But yeah, in the beginning, it was just for him, it was food and music. And then from there, once I got a little bit older, it turned into, you know, wine and all these different things. And he really introduced me and made this foundation of knowledge for kind of like the things that I considered to be so fundamental in culture, right? Um, and then from there, it grew. So my uncle, my mom's uh, younger brother, um, he got a small little two-acre vineyard over in Anderson Valley, California, in a small town called Boonville. And going back to the part of me being like, you know, probably a, a difficult child, there'd be times when, you know, I just had to go to the farm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so they sent Peter to probably the best farm possible. They sent me to a vineyard. Um, and then from there, I really started to like, I, there was something that was really calming about working with the earth and just being outside and helping with the anxieties and, you know, all the other things that I had. So I was just, I, I fell in love with that. And I remember something that my uncle did that I will never forget this. You know, he was very, um, he, he was so instrumental in my development. Um, but he used to tell me when I was younger, and, he, and his name's John. John's a very direct person. Um, and John told me, he's like, why you are young and you're cute and you can get away with it. He's like, you should ask people how they make their money. He was like, you might be fascinated by the different ways that you can make a living. He's like, I recommend you do that. And that's what kind of led to me first getting into winemaking. Once I saw what kind of a life it could provide and the joys and also just the complete randomness of a day. I don't thrive in structure. I love chaos. And I would just see these winemakers with this organized chaos. One day they're working in the tasting room, you know, engaging with the VIP or they're doing like, you know, you know, more horticultural kind of like cluster analysis working in the land. And then they're doing engineering and they're just all over the place. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, like all the hats you could put on in this. Peter, so from, can I interrupt real quick and make an observation? I don't think I've ever connected this. How old were you when you were working there? Working where? At the, at the farm. The oh. vineyard. Um, under the age of 21. <laughs> oh. Well, I was going to say, because, uh, I was gonna suggest, say that I think that you and I were both working uh, like outside on farms in different parts of the U.S. at the same time. And That's I had wild. A, I forgot. I hadn't really made that connection until now. Um, I was also, I worked at City Farm in Chicago, which is an acre of land, but uh I had a lot of hearing what you're talking about, Peter, is reminding me of I had a similar like joy for discovering growing things outside. And I was wondering if we were doing it at probably around the same age, which is before look, we knew look each at other. Us learning things about each other during this. I process. know. Uh, and now you're growing know. people together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a whole nother um, thing. I'm gonna tell my daughters to go around and ask people what they do. That's great advice. Your uncle had some great advice. It? Yeah. It's Cause I have a very advice. spirited child who is meant to be a, she will, she will be the kind that has like a standing desk with a treadmill under it. She just cannot sit still <laughs> and that is okay. You know? But, um, but yeah, that's great advice. Sorry. Yeah. But um, from, from there, you know, from wine, it, it entered into beer and I don't think that beer was ever part of the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, once I came back to Atlanta from being in California for a while, I made wine um, at a winery here called Chateau Alain. Um, and that wasn't like, I, I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about like the business side of things. Once again, working in Napa as well, like you learn all about the circus, the show. Um, mm. And then I just met this this guy one day. His name was Joel Iverson. Um, and they had this quirky idea where they wanted to make beers for the weekdays. And I was like, what does that even mean? Um, and they were like, we wanted to make elevated beers. Like think of like beers that would pair not only with food, but also just with like, not this idea of mass consumption, like things that were really flavorful, intentional, kind of like this idea of maybe how I thought about wine. Um, and I remember the first time I was like, what do you guys call it? And they're like, Monday Night Brewing. And I paused and I was like, huh, that's a dumb name. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you had me everywhere on the pitch. I was like, the name is interesting. But, um, you know, so like I, I joke around and I say I stumbled into beer. I, but the truth is I just really enjoy making alcohol and, and beer was a new challenge. And I got to do it in Atlanta. I got to do it around my people, around my home, my community, and everything else I'd done felt so far away. Mm. And no one really got to experience it. But, um, you know, at this point, when I started with Monday Brewing, I was 27. So I was, still had that very strong Y chromosome where I wanted to be seen. You know, I was a proud man, and um, I wanted people to get to try my work. So, yeah, beer was just a thing that I kind of stumbled into. A medium, if you were. Before. So was yeah. it like a medium for you? I mean, you seem like you're a creative person. I mean, I'm, I have ADHD too, and I find that we have a lot of interests and we do a lot of things, you know? So it's another medium if that's, you know, what you want to think yeah. of it. How did that's you guys, how did you guys come together? Was it at Monday night, your relationship? Is that where you met? Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Can you it tell me that company. story? Well, our company was very small when we first started dating i think at that if we did the numbers it was like 20 percent of the company was dating each other uh <laughs> <laughs> it was just the two of us uh dating um we oh peter how did we get together oh i definitely know this story <laughs> i definitely know this story the story ends with one of the coolest things i've ever done so it's just i'll, I'll lead with that um, i'm all ears so I started officially working at Monday Night Brewing in February of 2013, and I was a box folder. Um, I was there for our very first bottling days of Drafty Kilt, Patch, Fu Man. And what I did was I just worked on the bottling line because I just wanted to be around it. Um, I'd missed being in production. At that point, I was working for Vino Venue as a psalm over there and um, and I just miss being the act of doing. So on my first day of working, I meet um, our salesperson and her name's Rachel. And Rachel is obviously, which people can't see um, during this podcast, but she's beautiful. She's stunning. So I look at her, I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble. And I had a girlfriend. Um, we later broke up very quickly. Um, but what I do remember is about two months in, and Rachel, or I, you know, we're just like kind of ships passing. Like I work in production, she's out doing sales. It's a very small business. One day I came into our rinkety dinky office 
and I had a pretty rough day. At this point, I wasn't just folding boxes. I was also kegging. Um, and we had just had a huge run. And I came in and I was like really just kind of beat up and I was sweaty. And I kind of let it slip that I was just having a really tough day. And I think I remember exactly the words that my now wife said to me. She said, Peter, we're all having tough days. You're just the only one complaining about it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm cringing Damn. so hard. I was like, whoa. And I was just kind of like, what the fuck was that? And so I just walk out of the office, just like really compounded my bad day. So two days later, once again, I see Rachel. There's this long walk from production to the front office, and it's the tasting room. So it's just her and I. We make eye contact immediately. So by the time we get to each other, she was like, hey, I want to talk to you. And I was like, yeah, what's up? And she was like, um, I'm really sorry about what I said. I could tell that it aggravated you. She was like, I would like to um, make it up to you. Can I uh, cook you dinner or something? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. How about tonight? And boom. So that goes to dinner. Immediately that night, I'm at her house, which is really dangerous. It's like the CEO's you know, sister-in-law. He doesn't actively work at the company. I'm like, she's really cute. So I come over with a bottle of wine that I made. And so immediately started off on the right foot. She was like, what's this? And I'm like, that's a bottle of wine that I made. And she was like, wow. And the wine didn't suck. And so we had this amazing dinner. We're sitting on her really crappy porch in her really crappy, fully khaki colored apartment um, <laughs> off of Northside Drive. It was and affordable. None of, and, and, and none of that mattered. It, it felt like four hours was four minutes. And so eventually we just had to end this dinner. I don't even remember what was cooked. I don't remember anything besides the conversation. And then at the end of the night, this is where it gets super cool, in my opinion. At the end of the night, it was, it was a perfect night, right? Immediately, I knew I was in trouble. I was like, I had already fallen for this person. I just gotten out of this relationship that I had terminated. I was like, I really like this girl. So at the end of the night, instead of doing anything silly, I thanked her and I gave her a kiss on the cheek and I turned around and I walked away and it made me one of those scenes when like you know the explosions in the background and like I don't even acknowledge it I just walk away because normally I'm just I'm, I'm aggressively uncool. I don't do cool things and so that was like one of those things where I think she I think Rachel thought I was going to kiss her but I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> I think I think with the door closed, I like to believe that we're both kind of like, oh shit. I remember what I cooked. I, I had I had the uh, I was a member of a the um a CSA and I'd had uh roasted turnips and um baked chicken. I know the roasted turnips because I was really proud about figuring out what to do with turnips that were really tasty but yeah this is jennifer zeman and my interview with peter and rachel kylie of monday night brewing in atlanta georgia and so like fast forward you guys are now you know you're not only co-workers um or co-stakeholders at monday night brewing um you have a beautiful family what what role does food play in your daily life as a family and as a married couple <laughs> mm. I um I think a lot I've heard a lot of moms say this so maybe folks will hear this and um it will resonate I had before I had kids I said I'm not going to cook 
separate meals. I'm going to cook what I cook and my kids are going to eat it. And that's how my family is going to go. Mm-hmm. And that is not how it goes actually in our house. Um, I, we have two, two picky kids. I have no idea how it happened. I'm, I, um, I, you know, to try to expose them to a lot of different things, but the truth is we're slowly, uh, I've, I'm like the hype woman for vegetables. I'm like, wow, broccoli. What? It's like a tree. Like I'm a dad. This is amazing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, like you're selling it too hard. Lady. Uh, and, um, about twice a month, uh, I'll leave Peter at home to, you know, catch up on yard work or something. And I'll take the kids to the cab farmer's market, which is not close to our house. It's a whole field trip and, um, pick out different fruits and vegetables that they think looks cool that then they don't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we cook at home a lot. I mean, the thing is with two very little kids, our son just turned five and two, like we're, we would love to go out to restaurants more, but bedtime's at seven. Um, and so it works mostly that we're daily home cooks and then hopeful weekend restaurant goers. Do you guys <laughs> really, do you guys connect on food? Is that something in your relationship? Like, you know, like going and trying restaurants or like, even if it's not what's happening right now, because you have toddlers and they're impossible to take to restaurants. And I do not blame you for sleep <laughs> schedules because that is all that's saving your sanity. Um, you know, do you connect on that? Do you connect on beer and wine? Wine more than beer. I think beer has become very much, you know, maybe other people feel this way. I have a, a deep level of love and respect for, I mean, anything that's crafted, food, mm-hmm. booze, you name it. But you develop a different relationship with it over time. Um, I know that I have. Um but Rachel and I definitely connect more over wine than beer. Oftentimes beer is part of a conversation that we try to keep out of the home as often as possible because it's easy to bring work home with you. I bet. Um, but Rachel is also being very humble here, which is that she is a remarkable cook. Um, I don't know what it is. She utilizes some form of dark magic. I feel like everything that she makes is delicious and it's probably not good for me, but I don't know that. Um, and so like this, I, I know that I personally connect to Rachel over the food that she makes. Um, and then, you know, getting out, which is, you know, the struggle right now at this, this point of like going, exploring new places. I feel like we're really good at taking like lunch dates right now, just when the kids yeah. are in school and in daycare and we go out and we try different things. And sometimes it's work combined. Sometimes it's really just a departure from work. But obviously there's so much of our identities that are rooted in the things that we make and the experiences that we take and bring back home to our business. Um, and I don't know, it's in the beginning, that's all we did. Rachel was like, she was in sales. I had no money. Cause I was just a little like scrub of a person trying to figure out how to make beer and beer is a very, you know, famously low paying industry. So I just remember going around to I've every restaurant with Rachel. Yeah, yeah. I've been feeding you for like nine years. <laughs> Ten years, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and then I we made two more people who I've started feeding. <laughs> like breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. I've they eat like three like... meals a day every day. Oh, Nobody gosh. told me this. 
like that no, I'd have yeah. to decide what was for dinner every night. You know? And they want them to be different. The other day, my son was like, <laughs> like we had pasta yesterday. <laughs> Children in Italy eat pasta every day. So yes. you will be fine. <laughs> well, I only wanted McDonald's as a kid and I became a restaurant critic. So there's hope, you know, there's hope. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. my parents loved to remind me, they're like, do you remember all you wanted was pizza and cheeseburgers from Mickey D's? And I was like, look at me now. But um, so speaking of going out on the town in Atlanta, you know, you guys are doing a lot of really cool partnerships. Um, and I feel like outreach has always been something that you community outreach rather and partnering with other experts in the field in Atlanta, be it in the food space or in the music space. Like, I feel like you guys do a lot of fun stuff. Can you, can you talk about why those relationships are important to you? Um, me personally, mm-hmm. I like to find the rooms where I am the dumbest. Um, I love to learn about flavor from as many different people as I can. There's so much about flavor that is subjective, but then there's a lot that really isn't. Um, so for me, at least on the beer side, I like to just glean inspiration wherever I can. I think that, you know, who we are, what we do is usually just a culmination of all of our experiences. So I try to diversify them. And I love working with breweries, obviously, in the beer space. I love working with wineries in the beer space. But I personally really, really enjoy right now working with chefs and bringing them into the beer space. It's a fun challenge, but um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure that we all feel this way. Like, why wouldn't you want to be closer to these people? Why wouldn't you want to better understand them? If your curiosity is only on the plate and it's not towards the, the person creating, um, that's a shame. Know, know your brewers, know your producers, know your chefs, know them as people. That's just, I, I find that to be the greatest way to honor them and then to understand them and then be able to take their ideas and somehow apply it. I mean, that's maybe the finest form of honoring. I mean, you know, mimicry, flattery, right? Um, so yeah, I just really enjoy it. And also I just want to increase my uh, network of like-minded people. Like, that's the coolest part about this. And the fact that I have any agency to go do that still blows my mind that someone's like willing to be like, yeah, I'll work with you. I'm like, wow, do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> so what So what kind of partnerships like that have been excited, the most exciting to you? Well, I mean, Claudia was obviously fantastic. So I had started the idea of the chef series. I love the idea of watching someone take their ideas and try to apply it to a different medium, like you said earlier. Um, so Claudia was a lot of fun. Obviously, she's just like really easy to get along with person very calm energy, very strong in her beliefs and her understandings. Um, you know, and the, and the chef's years really started actually like in January um, of 2020, you know, before the whole, you know, world shutdown thing. Um, so I, I love that idea, but I, I, there's one I want to talk about, and I don't know if I fully can. I think I can. We are going to be um, starting a project with someone who you've had on this podcast. Um, his name's Mirwan Irani. And um, we're going to be doing a fun little project. Once again, just learning different flavors from different people and bringing them in. And I know that Rachel has an answer to this question from her point of view, but yeah, I just like to better understand flavor. Flavor is one of those things that we just take. And some people choose to understand it and apply that discipline. But um, I, I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people that better understands flavor. <laughs> 
So I got to, you know, just talk to as many people and bug them as much as I can and ride that fine line of persistence and annoyance until I how do how goal. do these partnerships work then? So like with marijuana, like is it more like con him consulting on flavor profiles and you guys developing um, beers that reflect that, or is it more just about you know them just coming in and teaching? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so with Claudia. I think here's the best way to talk about how we think about the, the combination of these two worlds is one, I look to the chef for inspiration. I think to them, I'm like, what would be the truest story that you could tell, right? That's what we as producers do. We make things in order to tell our story. Um, so I asked Claudia, I was like, what's a dish that just evokes a, a deep sense of nostalgia that makes you that, that, that feels so part of your story. And one of these things, she was like, well, it's this Venezuelan um, oatmeal chocolate cookie. She's like, I used to have these when I was younger. Um, and so I was like, okay, make them. Let's try them. Um, and so I got to spend the day with her in the kitchen and um, she made these cookies. And obviously something like a cookie, it's like everyone has their favorite cookie, right? I, at least I assume they do. Um, and so she made this and it was really just for me to take that thing that was special to her that she knew how to create that, you know, that really had a sense of place in her world and then see if I could bring it over into the beer. Um, and that's kind of really what the idea has been a lot of is like taking the inspiration from the chef. What is true to them? If their name's going to be on it and they're going to be part of this project, what's a dish that they can stand behind and that they really understand? that they understand so well that maybe if I come back to them and say, okay, you know, here's what I'm thinking. This is how I'm going to translate that food item into a liquid item. And then maybe I could consult around some of those ingredients. Um, you know, for the one with Claudia, we use coriander, which is obviously in my world, it's a threshold ingredient. Once you add too much, there is no going back. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, a, that was a fun one, but really it was just, the hardest thing I think for them probably is trusting me. Like why should a food item also work in a liquid format? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the cool part about it is, you know, pushing each other, which is what collaborations allow for. There's a, an agreed upon level of risk that the consumer will tolerate when you do a collaboration, especially one with like two separate disciplines, even though they feel so similar. Um, so yeah, it's just, I don't know if I did a good job describing it. You did. You did but. a great job. It's just making me think of a lot of other questions. Um, and how about you, Rachel? Do you have anything to add? Because I do have other questions for you as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll add just that I've my what I've learned in some ways the hard way at Monday night over the last 11 years is that if it's not creator led, then it's going to suck. So <laughs> anytime, you know, the marketing or sales team, or we've looked at scan data and we should make X kind of beer or the market trend says this, or this item will sell. It has always sucked. Um, the only thing, uh, the things that have been most successful, the most exciting to ultimately to us and to consumers are things that are creator led. And my role in these collaborations or in the innovation process is really to, I mean, Peter's talked about his ADHD. He's like exploding into a room and I'm sort of building scaffolding under ideas that I think we can um, pull off. <laughs> and then we- uh, Good partnership, we like join... it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, and I think anytime I've asked him to sort of pull a punch, it's, it's created something that has sucked. So um, you kind of have to let that process play out. I'm excited also about this uh, marijuana um, collaboration because Indian food is my comfort food. It is my long day or hungover or any, you know, my weekend food. I was just listening to David Chang's podcast and they were debating what are the great cuisines and they decided that it was Indian food. So mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> but um, you did, you mentioned that this chef series started in 2020. Um, you know, I have to imagine that that was a difficult time for you guys. One of the questions I like to ask, um, cause I'm just so curious to hear from people in this space is did, did the pandemic change how you feel about hospitality? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, our tap rooms um, in March, April, May of 2020 shifted to basically a drive-through. And um, we felt incredibly and were incredibly supported by Atlanta at that time. And people showed up in large numbers to support us and help keep us afloat um, and keep our folks employed. Um, but it also um, gave an opportunity for us to support the folks in Atlanta. So I'm thinking about, um, we did a vaccine, um, what was it called, Peter? I'm like digging, what was it called? Shots for seltzers. Yeah. Uh, and we ended up uh, giving away, and it was way more successful than we'd expected. We said, hey, bring your vaccine card <laughs> and we'll give you a like a six pack of these hard seltzers that we made with real fruit and we were super proud of. Um, and we ended up giving away like 400 cases of seltzers or something, might even have been more. We were like, all right, Atlanta's showing up. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a big hit. Uh, and then we also expanded our outdoor area a lot. Um, and that was a good push that we needed to at, at our location at the garage in the West end to, um, elevate our outdoor spaces and make those more inviting for folks. Yeah. Shots for seltzers. Yeah. We gave away way too much product. We're already losing money at that time. Um, <laughs> so I, I would say that to answer that question, which is a really good question, um, COVID did a lot of things that I think to a lot of people. For me in the space of hospitality, the biggest takeaway is that it humbled me. Um, after it humbled me, it filled me with an immense amount of hope, just watching how the community supported us and then the way that we were able to support our communities that felt really reciprocated. And then from there, I think with a lot of other people, it um, I would say it made me more tolerant to risk. Everything at that time was sharp. We couldn't walk through a space without getting pricked. Every plan you had got changed within a week. And so like eventually there just there had to be a point where you just had to bet on a horse, right? And I felt like so much of what we had done was so intentional all through this point. And then at this point, it's kind of like you have to just kind of have to choose a path. And so it made me really risk tolerant. Um, but yeah, I mean, COVID, what a shit show. 
That sucked. <laughs> I'm yeah, looking back at that time. I'm so afraid. Uh, we two have, thumbs Rachel down. Was a, Rachel two thumbs down. Yeah. Oh my God. I was, and our business was a bigger, a mix. You know, we sell product in kegs and we sell it in cans and the keg business went, was gone completely and zero people buying kegs. And we did not have enough um, items contracted to um, pull off the demand. All demand shifted to cans. And so I stayed home um, with our, we, you know, we pulled our two-year-old out of daycare. I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, that first March, April, when COVID, you know, starting, we were wearing like gloves at the grocery store, you know, like just extremely, you don't know what's going to happen. You're pregnant, you're terrified. So I stayed home and really did forecasting and demand forecasting and tried to find us fruit juice for our Dr. Robot and um, enough can lids for our, our product. And um, I did that for six months. And so today um, you guys have moved into not only the spirit space, but also um, the restaurant this you're doing that, you know, pizza Napolitana now using, mm -hmm. I think it's the yeast from the beer. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We found the least efficient way to make pizza. <laughs> Why is it the least efficient way to make pizza? So uh, w one of the things that we do, which is a, a kind of an older, I would say it's just labeled as more of a Belgian traditional brewing method of spontaneous inoculation, which I'll give to the Belgians. Obviously, it's how everything worked forever um, before modern technology. But um, yeah, so we have this cool ship that we fill with wort on the coldest nights, and then we use essentially ambient air from these cold nights to inoculate the sugar water, the wort. So we make these beers that would be considered lambic if we were in Belgium, but they're just what we call method traditional. Um, so from in this side, this space of spontaneous inoculation and fermentation, we have the technology in our lab to look um, at a genetic level, like at the DNA of what's inside of our beer. And so we isolated a few different strains of lactobacillus um, and then some wild yeast from this. And we have since used that to ferment our sourdough. Um, so yeah, what are the most inefficient ways to, to go about making bread? But it's once you taste it and this, the intentionality of it, I think it's so cool. We're so extremely proud of it. Um, it's really difficult to work with it, but it also just makes us respect it more. So, and also once again, one of my favorite, one of my favorite reviews someone put on our, I think our Google page was the pizza is great. The new pizza program is great. It's amazing. The crust is artisanal or something. <laughs> <laughs> like or something like, yeah like artisanal or something <laughs> but um <laughs> do you i mean i mean has serving food been always been a part of monday night or was this like a late a later ad this was a later ad we started selling we started we launched our pizza program in august of 2022 so recently, um, but we, um, in our Birmingham location, we opened that um, under a brew pub license and we've had a kitchen there since September, when we opened that in September of 2020. It's a great time to open a restaurant, by the way, September, 2020, it's so perfect. <laughs> it just nailed it, loved it. Everything was great. <laughs> um, our, our opening day was September 4th, which is the day that I delivered my daughter. 
Oh, so and convenient. And I remember, yeah, right. Yeah, Labor Day. It was all. <laughs> and I remember someone asking, like, "Oh, does that mean Peter's not going to be there?" I'm like, "Yes, Peter will be at the birth of his child, and not at the <laughs> opening the birth of, of the brew pub. <laughs> of the birth of the brew pub, which is uh, a fantastic place. Um, and we were able to go check it out after the baby came. But um, we've had a kitchen program there since September 2020. So this is like a new thing then. I mean, this is, yeah. it's it for, for Atlanta, you're going into a different space. Um, how has it been? I mean, is it scary to be serving food? Because like, I have to imagine, you know, with, with these beverages, it's something that you're making and then people are taking, but when people are actually eating it on site, it's, it's just a completely different delivery. You know? Yeah. I, I will go back to my, um, comment earlier, which is that, uh, it had the reason we didn't do it earlier is because we didn't feel like we had the skill set and passion in house to do it in a way that matched the quality of the beer we were making. Um, but two things changed one, Joel Iverson developed a deep and abiding love for crust and bread theory. And two, we hired a director of culinary, Adi Komik, um, who is, a who does have the experience and passion and authentic um ability to pull off a restaurant that is you know i think uh, not restaurant but like a food program that matches the the passion and quality of our beer and it, when it comes to food you know one of the questions i always like to ask people as we wrap up is um, you know when when you're looking for something comforting it's been a really bad day what are you cooking for yourself or your family? For myself and Peter, I'm making a curry. And um, while that cooks, I'm heating up dino nuggets in the air fryer <laughs> for my children. <laughs> That's so real. You, you, can yeah. tell, you, you can tell the truth. I like dino nuggets in my curry. Yeah, um, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely an opportunivore. I have just a different relationship with food in that sense where, you know, I think, you know, this with ADHD, a lot of it comes down to impulse control. So if I'm hungry, I'm just going to go eat something. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, definitely Indian food is the thing that um, I think brings us both a lot of peace. And also when my wife is happy, I am happy. So, you know, just anyone listening out there, that's a simple way to have a great marriage. <laughs> He'll give you beer and relationship advice. Um, so um, is there anything coming up that you guys want to promote? Any events, anything, any new releases? This is the place. Promote yourselves as much as you want. Where can people follow you? Yeah, um, we're making all kinds of things all the time. Um, obviously, we launched our new liquor line called Sneaky Pete. And I have a few surprises inside of that space that will be coming out soon. So please follow at Sneaky Pete Spirits. Um, myself, Peter Kiley, I am all over the place, but if you want to see what I'm doing in the world, traveling around, around beer and liquor and wine, then you can follow me at make drink repeat, like P E T E, um, clever, right? Um, Very. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we will be opening our fifth tap room location in the South end of Charlotte in June. And it is on a super cool piece of property with an acre of outdoor um we've probably our landscaping budget budget is bigger than ever and it's going to be beautiful i'm really excited about it 
And that'll be your fifth tap room, you said? Our fifth tap room. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's called the, the Garden Co. Um, and so we'll have uh, two pizza ovens there. We'll have our full lineup of craft beers, our Sneaky Pete cocktails, and um, this beautiful, huge outdoor garden to hang out in. Bring your dogs. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here, guys. It was really nice to meet you finally. And I'm a big fan. My, my husband is a bigger fan, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but we really love what you're doing. And I'm excited to see all of these new collabs. Thank you. It was really great to talk to you. Thanks, Jennifer. Right, well, have a great day, guys. Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you for listening. And thank you to the Kylies for joining me. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, we're going to do a rerun from an episode with Chef Mia Orino of Kamayan Atlanta. Since our episode aired during season one, she's opened her restaurant Kamayan Atlanta on Buford Highway. It's a love letter to Filipino cuisine, and I thought it would be great to spotlight her cooking and what a great person she is. Again, we'll be back next week with a rerun of my interview with Chef Mia Orino. This has been Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Thanks for listening.